Well, good morning uh, to everybody uh, watching electronically. Good morning to everybody in here. And um, if you're watching a recording later, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever it happens to be. Uh, thank you to our worship team for leading us beautifully there. Right. Um, as you can see, the topic that I've uh, selected today is called Dealing with Disappointment. Um, I'm going to say three sort of preliminary things before uh, starting this. One is, well, you might say that sounds a right miserable subject. Um, I'm sorry, I hope you'll find the content isn't miserable. Uh, number two, we've had um, a series campaign recently called Generous. And so the question might be, does it fit in with that? Well, it wasn't designed specifically to, but it's absolutely in line um, with that theme. Um, let me say something sort of personal. It's pretty obvious that I'm a, I can't deny being an older person these days. I've been around the block a few times, and over some decades, I've had, like the rest of you, had my ups and downs. But what I can say is this, is that I can assure you that our loving um, Heavenly Father is generous to every one of us in his love and his graciousness, even when we are facing difficulties and perhaps feel far from him, perhaps even especially in those times. So there is absolutely no limit to our Heavenly Father's generousness. Indeed, he gave his only son. That's the second point. Uh, my third um, sort of preliminary comment is, uh, well, disappointments happen. That's part of life. So it does seem sensible that we think about things that are real in the context of faith. So let's uh, start thinking about it. Now, I think we're all familiar with disappointments of one sort or another. They come in different shapes and sizes. Uh, some are very small, almost trivial. You've ordered something online, it arrives, and it's not quite what you want. Um, clothes don't fit, you've got to send it back. It's disappointing, but it's not going to change your life. Um, but other things are much bigger than that. Um, you, maybe you've lost your job, got no income, or if you're trying to run a business of your own, that just can't operate, perhaps because of the pandemic or for other reasons. Um, if you're a younger person, maybe you've not done so well at some exams that you wanted to do, so you can't move on to the next stage of education or career, or maybe you can't afford the fees, or your family couldn't afford it if, if you did education rather than getting a job. Things like that are disappointments to people, for sure, and they are serious. They're sort of life-changing. They can be life-changing things. Um, there could be family or a relationship breakdown these are huge disappointments. Or illness, ill health. And again, people of my sort of age tend to face those sort of disappointments a bit more frequently. Although, of course, young people uh, can face disappointments through health as well. And, of course, there's, there's um, a bereavement. You know, a loved one dies. So there are really big disappointments. There's a whole spectrum of disappointments that, that, we, that, that come at us during life. Um, that's just how it is. Life happens. And there's one other thing that I, I sort of feel I want to say. Um, I'm sorry to say, I think sometimes we Christians make things even a bit worse because we sort of pretend that we shouldn't ever be disappointed. Um, we're sort of a bit embarrassed if something happens that isn't what we wanted and we're a bit upset about it. We sort of feel if we, if we talk about it, it's like criticising God or it's like, you know, maybe I've done something wrong, so I'm being punished, all that sort of stuff. And I don't think that's right at all. Um, we really should not be frightened to just recognise when bad things happen. 
Um, and don't, don't, don't worry about it. And let's not make sure that we don't condemn other people or make them feel condemned in any way. So today, what I want to do is to look at some sort of Bible teaching that I think is relevant to this subject. Um, and I should say, I've sort of thought about this for quite a long time. I think I can honestly say that the Lord sort of pushed me in this direction to talk about this subject actually quite a long time ago. Um, but I think maybe it's almost more relevant now than, than it was back then. So here's a sort of plan of what I hope to do. I'm going to look at some examples that I think are relevant from the Psalms, from the life of Jesus, from the Apostle Paul, and from the prophet Habakkuk. And then there's a little, little twist at the end. So let's think about some Psalms, first of all. So here's... Um, well, there's a general point about um, Psalms, which, which Mike has um, reminded us of right through this period of the pandemic. And he's made the point that um, uh, about a third of the Psalms, in one way or another, are lamenting. It's people talking about things they wish were different. And this is the songbook of the Bible. Um, now, okay, two-thirds are not, two-thirds are glorious praise, but a third of it is sort of saying, I wish things were different. Um, and so if that's okay for the main songbook of the Bible, I think it's okay for us to be honest when things are not quite as we would, um, we would like. And it's okay for us to tell God if we are feeling bad or disappointed about circumstances in some way. Now, and often the Psalms show sort of mixed emotions, I think. Um, let's look at this one, Psalm 88. It's um, interesting, this one. Um, it, starts off, um, very, it starts off in a very positive way. It says, Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. My prayer comes before you. Um, so that's great. Um, but then it sort of goes downhill pretty quickly. Later verses in that psalm say, I am overwhelmed with troubles, verse 3. You remember me no more. Of course, that's not true. God is remembering that person, but he, didn't, he, didn't feel, he or she didn't feel like it was. Um, well, like he was. He says, you've taken from me my closest friends. People have died. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? So most psalms, when I started looking at these, I think do actually end up with a bit of hope at the end. This one actually doesn't. It just goes downhill. Um, but that's just that's how it was with, with the person writing at that time. Let's move on to another one. This is Psalm 137. Too far. Yep, yep Psalm 137. Um, this is a, a one that you'll be very familiar with. This is one written um, when the, 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 the Jewish people were in exile. Their country had been invaded. They were carted off to the city of Babylon in slavery. Um, and it starts by lamenting and looking back to better times. You know, you'll know this verse. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion and the captors wanted us to sing songs and so on and so on. So, you know, it starts off in a very lamenting sort of way. Um, but there are sort of mixed emotions in it and there are some glimmers of hope in it as well. It says, consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Um, and there's all sorts of funny things also that are a bit uncomfortable about calling for retribution on the, the people that have enslaved them. Uh, so there's real mixed emotions there. And another example, I think, of mixed emotions is Psalm 22. 
Now, this is the one before the very famous Psalm 23, written by David, the same person. And in 23, it's all positive stuff. Lord's my shepherd. I lack nothing. But in this Psalm 22, it's a bit of a mix. And I've sort of put up on the slide here some sort of happy things and some less happy things. So um, um, 1 verse 6 says, these are, the, these are the miserable things. I am a worm and not a man. Oh, gosh. This person is not having a good day, are they? Um, and then it says, I'm surrounded by many strong bulls. I'm surrounded by roaring lions that tear their prey. Um, he's really not feeling good. And he says he's surrounded by dogs and a pack of villains. Um, some of our politicians might feel like that. Um, but then there's a more happy side as well. There's verse 10 says, Yet from birth I was cast on you. That's God. From my mother's womb you have been my God. And also in verse 19, You, God, are my strength. Come quickly to help me. What I thought here was, well, maybe when we talk to God, we don't have to get everything sorted out first. We, it's quite okay to tell God all the mixture of things that we feel, the good things and, and the less happy things. And that reminded me uh, of... Um, yep, sorry, I think I missed something. Yeah. So we can sort of learn, I think, from these psalms that it's okay to tell God when you're not feeling okay. But do keep talking to him. Don't think, oh, I can't talk to God because I'm in a bad state. Don't do that. Because he really does want to hear your and my honest feelings. So don't, don't shy away. Don't, don't step back. Tell him what you feel. And there is hope even if you don't feel it now. And that just reminded me, this little aside really, of some uh, talks, teaching that I've heard by this person called Patrick Reagan, really helpful and he he talks about and he sort of as uh, refers to um, something called kintsugi hope and apparently kintsugi is a Japanese word that's to do with repairing broken pottery but repairing it with gold and there's a picture there of a sort of broken cup or something that's repaired with gold and the idea there is that there's actually beauty in repaired brokenness um, I think it's a lovely picture, and it's absolutely true of our of lives, I think. Um, and um, uh, th- this person, Patrick Reagan, has talked about this, in fact established a charity called Kintsugi Hope. You can Google it, and it's all very much to do with mental and emotional brokenness, but being healed from that, and there's beauty in, in a healed brokenness. And I... Um, uh, blatantly took uh, the sort of strap line of the title of one of his books um, earlier on. It's okay not to be okay. Right, those arose from Psalms. Now let's look at a couple of examples in Jesus' life. Now, you're probably very familiar, many people will be familiar with the shortest verse in the Bible where it says, Jesus wept, John chapter 11, verse 35. It's part of quite a long story covering more or less the whole chapter um, about when Jesus' friend died. 
You remember, some of you will know, he had a family of a, a brother and two sisters that he was good friends with. Um, the brother was called Lazarus, and somebody sent a message to Jesus when he was, um, I think, a couple of days travel away to say that your friend Lazarus is very ill. Please come, because they knew, people knew that Jesus healed people. If you come and pray for him, perhaps he'll be okay. But it's a very interesting story. I'm not going into it. Jesus delayed. He didn't rush there. He did various other things on the way. Um, and when, by the time he got there, Lazarus had died. And um, people were very upset. Why didn't, if Jesus had only come quicker, perhaps we wouldn't be in this bad situation. Perhaps he wouldn't have died. Um, but, you know, he then spoke to one of the sisters. They take me to where he's buried. And it says, Jesus wept. So this is God, the son, weeping through sadness, through disappointment, you might say. Now, Jesus then did a great miracle and raised him to life. Now, there's all sorts of theology there. So, although presumably the all-knowing God the Son knew what he was going to do, he was going to raise him from the dead, but he was still sad and he wept at the death of, this, of his friend. Um, I will look to people like Mike and Becky and, um, uh, and Roy who've studied theology to, to, know you, to tell you the ins and outs about that. But whatever happened, Jesus, this is God the Son, was so sad at this dreadful happening for him and his friends that he wept. So if it's okay for Jesus to weep when sad things happen, it's okay for you and me to as well. We don't have to apologise for it. Then another example of Jesus having real disappointment is um, in Matthew's Gospel. Um, it's a time when he's um, uh, towards the end of his life, really, before not long before he was crucified, and he's looking at the city of Jerusalem, city where God established Himself, and so on. And he, G Jesus, is so disappointed, so sad. That, um, he, um, that the people are just not believing him, but particularly the religious leaders, the people who should have understood the message of the Old Testament that was pointing towards the coming Messiah, or the Messiah had come in a way they hadn't expected and all that. But these leaders, these supposed faith leaders, hadn't got it. In fact, they were completely looking the wrong way and they were set themselves against Jesus. And so, so people were just not believing when God had arrived. And um, in, um, in this chapter, Jesus said in verse 37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets, because this sort of thing has happened before, um, and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing you could, you could just sort of feel, I think, the heartbreak in Jesus at that time. And maybe, again, just a little aside, this is an example where Jesus is, in a sense, speaking of himself, uh, uh, God, um, almost in a female rather than a male way. We touched on this in a discussion in our life group this last week. People say we often talk about God as, as, as he, as a father. Now, God, actually, I don't think has a gender, although I'll check that with our theologians. Um, God is God. 
but it's often referred to as he. But this is a really nice example where, if you like, a more feminine aspect of God's character is shown, wanting to gather people together and protect them under, under, under his wings. And you can see that if you go to parks and look at, um, uh, look at birds doing exactly that. So Jesus suffered disappointments. So now let's move on to the uh, third point. This is some teaching from the Apostle Paul. And I've just dipped in here to a few fragments, really, from the book of Romans. The book of Romans is an incredible book where the Apostle Paul sort of sets out his understanding of um, of the coming of Jesus, of, of God's mission to save us, to draw people close to him. Uh, and how he worked through the Old Testament, worked through the Jewish people, they understood it and all this stuff. Um, so uh, and this chapter 8 is a very key chapter in the book of Romans. Um, the first part is about life in the spirit. It's all sort of um, um, goosebumpy sort of stuff, really. It's a real, really important teaching here. The second part of this chapter is talking about sufferings. Um, not saying they might happen, it's pretty much saying they will happen. Um, uh, and um, yeah, but at the end of that, Paul has this sort of great sort of hymn almost, drawing this section about suffering uh, to a close. I'll, um, I'll, I'll, well, I've put up the, the words there, but I think it's worth reading it. Verse 35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? This is after lots and lots of talking about sufferings. It says, Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And then later on it says, Paul says, I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, and it goes on, um, nor any powers, neither height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that's, wow, that's amazingly uplifting stuff. But if you just analyse it, it doesn't say you won't have suffering. In fact, he's pretty much saying you will. Well, it's very likely. And in fact, the people receiving this letter in Rome, I think at that time, were already suffering persecution for their faith. So it says that these bad things will happen. They very likely will cause the people listening to this, people of faith, disappointment and hardship and, and so on and difficulty. So that's the negative side of the story. But the other side of the coin is, but they will not separate us from God's love. It might feel as if they have, but they haven't. God's love is still coming, whatever we feel. So these, I think this teaching is, is very um, helpful to any of us when we are feeling oppressed or disappointed. And we can sort of go back to that teaching to, to remind ourselves that, yeah, it's difficult and I feel like I'm separated from God and his love, but actually the assurance here is that I am not. Now, um, 
I think there might be another little thing here. Um, we can help our fellow believers when they are suffering in some way. But please do it gently and with some thought. Don't say to them, oh no, the Bible says nothing will separate you from the love of God. No, you shouldn't be worried. You shouldn't be, you shouldn't be miserable. No, that may not be the most sensitive way of doing it. Um, okay, remember there's another verse in the Bible that says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. So gently um, lead them into this uh, teaching, but don't, don't come at it perhaps um, with all guns firing in that way. Right, my final sort of Bible um, verses, teaching um, about this are from the, the prophet Habakkuk, lovely name, um, always been rather like him, and a mercifully very short book as well, which is also very nice. Um, now, Habakkuk it was writing at some difficult times. I mean, he starts off, the very beginning of the book um, uh, starts off in a, a lamenting sort of way. It says, how long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. So again, there's some honesty here. I think we really know that God was listening and is listening, but poor Habakkuk felt like he wasn't at the time he wrote that bit anyway. And he goes, there's a lot of sort of toing and froing through this little book. It's only about um, three chapters, only three chapters. Um, but at the end, there's a, re- a bit that I like. It's, um, it's all to do with, with, with farming and agriculture, really. Plants not growing and animals not, not living. Um, I guess because I've worked in sort of agriculture uh, research in my life, it sort of appeals to me. Um, But at the end, this is verse 17 and 18, which I put up there. It says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no fruit. So it's, it's a bad situation. And this isn't talking about a few plants in your garden dying and you being upset about it. This is talking about people whose livelihoods depend on farming. Okay? These things don't grow. There's no food in the cupboard. You know? You know, they'll, they'll starve or they'll have to go begging or something. And it says, though there are no sheep in the sheepfold, no cattle in the stalls. So it's negative. But then it says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Saviour. So we've got a desperate situation. But at the end, this person says, I'm going to praise God anyway. It's a sort of hallelujah anyway um, sort of teaching there, if you like, or example. Now, I honestly don't recommend that as a sort of a basis for your life. If you go, oh, hallelujah, whatever happened, hallelujah, anyway, that, that can be um, sort of denying truth, I think. It can be a form of denial and, and actually dishonest. However, when you sort of know from your faith experience that the Lord really is with you, even though difficult things are happening, then the discipline of saying, yeah, I am going to praise God despite these things, I think can um, unleash, can unlock powerful spiritual forces. It's not a matter of denying that bad things are happening. You say, oh, I'm going to praise God anyway. Oh, oh, oh. It's not like that. It's knowing deep down what's true. I don't see it at the moment. I don't feel it at the moment. But I'm going to praise God. And again, I think, as I said, I think God, this sort of thing, I think can, God unlocks the power of the Holy Spirit to work in us when we can, in a sense, always discipline ourselves to do that sort of thing. Now, I had a birthday this last week, 
Um, and my daughter, very kindly, um, brought, bought me a CD, a Graham Kendrick CD. People of my age still quite like CDs. I, my, my wife is more, is more up-to-date than me and downloads things, but there we are. Um, and it's a great CD, and there's in, in, in the sort of the blurb that comes with it, and the, 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 um, the, the words to the songs, there's a sort of a quote from Graham Kendrick that seemed to be relevant here, I thought. I'm going to read it to you. So Graham Kendrick, this great... Um, inspired worship leader and songwriter, um, someone I've got great respect for, because he seems to be someone who doesn't, um, um, not too got too big for his boots, and he encourages other, I believe, younger um, worship leaders. What he says is this, he, he talks about um, uh, keeping the faith, and, you know, talking about when people, be, like, like people who've gone before us have done, and he says this, when things don't work out as expected, we trust the hands that made the heavens, and which forever bear the wounds of Calvary. So that's not a sort of a trivial, just praising God anyway. It's a, well, I don't feel great now, but I do know from my sort of faith experience and what the walk that I've had so far, which may be long or may be short, um, we can trust God and we are going to give him praise. So a little summary. Yeah, little summary, I think, here. So dealing with disappointment. Um, the Psalms invite us to tell God about our disappointments. Do keep communicating with him. Um, do be honest. It's okay not to be okay. Number two, we are not alone when we suffer disappointments and negative things hit us. Jesus suffered disappointments. Number three, the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, who faced many hardships himself, prisons and floggings and shipwrecks and whatever, as he was walking the way that the Lord had set for him, he warned us that we will face bad situations. Um, they will cause us pain, but they will not separate us from God's love. That's the key thing. And then remember Habakkuk's fig tree. We can trust in God despite our circumstances. He may not change them, but he will walk with us in them. And that brings me to my final little twist here. I said, airlift out or parachute in. And um, this refers to something in a little video clip they're going to play. I think Heidi's going to play for us now. It's an interview with a man called Pete Gregg. Some of you will know of him. He started a big prayer movement called 24-7 um, Prayer. Uh, his idea was, I think about 20 years ago when this started, um, that there will be people praying in different groups all around the world. Every minute of every day, there will be people praying. And um, uh, so he, he's a person of great faith, um, but uh, he's also suffered disappointments. And rather than me telling you about it, we'll have a little, this little video clip and he will tell you about it. Jesus, would you fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit? Pete Gregg is the founder of The Prayer Course and the interdenominational 24-7 prayer movement. Launched in 1999, it aims to maintain non-stop prayer right around the world. We've known each other for many years, but I'm keen to get back to basics with Pete on what he thinks prayer actually is. The word prayer comes from a Latin word, precarious. So we pray because life is precarious. 
And it's in that space that we seek to interact with God in this thing that we call prayer. What does prayer mean to you personally? I I think for me, prayer is an honest conversation with a loving God. So it's conversation. It's it's not just talking, but it's trying to learn to listen. And most of what we mean when we talk about hearing from God is hearing him in the Bible, hearing him in our consciences, in the still small voice, in other people, in circumstances. How do you know when it's actually God that's speaking to you and not just that small inner voice within yourself? One of the things I'm learning is that the longer you go on in faith, the more you do get to recognise the the voice of Jesus, which is generally gentle and quiet and undomineering. Pete's perspective on prayer came through adversity. 20 years ago, just as 24-7 prayer was growing, his wife Sammy became seriously ill with a brain tumour and Pete struggled with unanswered prayers. Suddenly, I think I went from thinking that our prayers could save the world to questioning whether my own prayers could save even my own wife. And we're incredibly fortunate in that they were able to operate and they did get most of the tumour out and Sammy's still alive, but she has struggled with epilepsy and with a number of other conditions linked to that now for 20 years. I think the way it works is when we pray, we tend to want God to airlift us out of our problems. We call those miracles, right? But more often in my experience, he parachutes in and joins us in the midst of them. And I can't imagine how people go through just the brutality and the pain of life without knowing that there is a purpose, that there is a God who loves you, that, that he's with you, and that there is hope, not just for this life, but for one to come. Pete, would you pray for us now? Oh, I'd love to do that. Lord, I thank you that you love us in the good times and the bad times, even in a very difficult time like the one that we are going through at the moment. We thank you that you are Lord and you can be trusted. Great is the Lord.